Well, it's a joy to be back with you again and uh, talking to you. Um, I hope that you're enjoying this series. And in actual fact, it's, it's really best if you follow the whole series because um, dealing as I am uh, with specific books in the Bible, um, if for any reason you are watching for the first time, please do trace back, and you can. At the end of the program, I'll try and give you the way in which you can actually view the earlier messages, because it's important. Um, now, usually in uh, Hebrews, I've been dealing with the New International Version, but I do believe now, on this occasion, I need to go back into the authorized version. Um, normally, in preaching, I use the authorized because there can be confusion with the different translations. And I don't know, but <laughs> people call me old-fashioned, but I still think that basically, to me, the most accurate is the King James or the authorized version of the Bible. Now, in order to try to explain this, um, what we're dealing with here very clearly in uh, chapter 7, and we're going to be continuing in chapter 8, is priesthood. Now, it's obviously clear that towards the end of chapter 7, if I can recap a little bit on what I was saying previously, that in this, Jesus is referred to as the high priest. He's identified with this chap called Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. But many of us believe that Melchizedek, because he's without beginning and ending, was in actual fact a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. So, that when you understand that, you'll understand a little bit more, because if we come back to the end, I'm looking at verse 20 of chapter 7, um, uh, it's, uh, it's the creating of the priest in verse 21. Those priests which were made without an oath, that's with an oath by him that said to him, the Lord swear and will not repent, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's quite clear that Paul, who's writing to the Jews here, the Hebrew people, is quite clearly identifying Melchizedek as being different to all the normal priests. And yet, Melchizedek represented the Old Testament dispensation. Now, let's get this right, and I think it's important that we begin here. Melchizedek, referred to here, represents the Old Testament. But in verse 22, uh, Jesus was made a surety of a better testament. So, if you can see that although it appears that Melchizedek was probably 
uh, pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus, he still, in that, represented, and you've got to understand a link between the two. He was representing the old order. But then the thoughts were that um, Jesus would become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus now replaces the old order. Have you got it? It is really, and that's where we begin to come into chapter 8. You see, um, if you look at the end of chapter 7, the high priest had to make sacrifices. And those sacrifices were for sin. And because of the Old Testament order, they had to be made daily or weekly or in order to atone for sin. But those sacrifices were not permanent. They had to be constantly repeated. Now, the new high priest has come, and as you will see, his sacrifice is final. We don't need any more. Now, this is the important thing to understand here, because here you've got the changeover between the old order of priesthood, um, where sacrifices had to be made consistently and regularly. Now you've got the new order, the new priesthood, where Jesus Christ, who becomes our high priest, himself becomes the sacrifice. I am trying to explain this to you, so I want you to understand. Now, let's look at the first verse of chapter 8. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this adds it all up. So, in other words, um, uh, Paul is summarizing, and he says, we have a high priest now who is sat on the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Do you understand? So whereas the previous priests were earthly, and as you know, in the old temple, the old tabernacle, and remember the temple has been rebuilt, uh, Jesus was in the temple, and things happened there. But the fact is that uh, whereas in the old temple, only the high priest could enter into the holy place once a year. And in fact, it's quite fascinating to realize that he wore a specific robe with bells on the bottom. And the reason was that um, it was anticipated nobody could enter into the presence of God and live. But all the time, the people outside could hear the tinkling of the bells. They knew the high priest was alive and representing them before God in that sanctuary. So now you'll find that the high priest is not in an earthly temple, 
but is now actually literally living permanently in the presence of God. He sat on the right hand of God in heaven. And here in verse 2, as a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, not created by man, but created by God. Because in verse 3, every high priest ordained by earthly position is ordained to offer gifts and make sacrifices. And it's necessary that that earthly priest has to have something to offer but now, in the new order, the new dispensation, the high priest, the new high priest, is actually in God's presence permanently. He sat at the right hand of the Father. Um, then in verse 4, it's a slight contrast because he says, so if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest because... Um, he is that the offer is made. He doesn't have to do it again. Because in verse 5, the earthly priests are only a shadow of what was to come. So the, the temple, the priesthood, the order, the sacrifices of the Old Testament are now fulfilled in the new. In Christ. I want you to understand. It's a completely new order. And um, then it's in verse 5, it's saying those earthly priests who served in uh, the shadow of heavenly things, and um, even Moses, when he was about to make that first earthly tabernacle, that was the tent in the wilderness. Um, he had to make it according to a pattern given by God. But the interesting thing is, as we'll see as we go on, that that tent in the wilderness, which was the mobile tabernacle that Israel had to use for 40 years through the wilderness, that was an imitation of the future, which is the heavenly tabernacle, which is the new order. So we don't need the temple. We don't need the tabernacle down here. We don't need the temple. We don't need these orders because all of this is now complete in heaven. So what Moses did and even what David did when he, well, through Solomon, when they built the temple, these things were only a shadow, a foretaste, but a picture of what would one day be in heaven. You understand? They were a shadow, a type, just as the priesthood was. Now, it says in verse 6, well, going back into verse 5, Moses was ordered by God and checked uh, and commanded as he was about to make the temple that it had to be done exactly, in verse 5, according to the pattern 
that he was choked on Mount Sinai. But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry. That's Jesus. Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry because he is now the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So the Old Testament's passed away. The, the, the laws, the orders of the Old Testament are now fulfilled. And Christ is a fulfillment of the law. He can become a high priest because he is the sacrifice. And he died once, just once. But because he's in the presence of God, that is a living sacrifice constantly. And every time God looks on his son, he sees the sacrifice, not a repetition. I want you to understand this. So now, it, Jesus has a more excellent ministry because he is the mediator. You know what a mediator it is? A mediator is someone who comes between us and somebody else, and in this case, between us and God. You can have a mediator in a dispute. You can have a mediator in a, in a business contract, and that's the illustration here. Jesus is the mediator between us down here and God in heaven. You see, and then verse 7 does explain it even more clearly because he says, if that first covenant had been faultless, we wouldn't have needed it to be replaced. But in verse 8, that's verse 7, in verse 8, he says, uh, in effect, that he found fault with the old covenant and said, the days will come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, in verse 9, the new covenant would not be the same as the old one made with the Jewish people, with the fathers, to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Now, this is very interesting. Because what Paul is referring to here is that the covenant which was made in the Old Testament was to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And that covenant was to last for that whole period. But, unfortunately... Uh, if you look at verse 9, this covenant was to lead them out of the land of Egypt, but because they failed to keep the covenant, God had to disregard it. So what was happening was this, the humanity of that first covenant, Israel couldn't keep it. They broke it, they broke it, they broke it so many times. So in verse 10, this is the covenant that I will make. So now here Paul is looking at, 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 at into the future. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days. I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts, 
and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. So instead of the Ten Commandments, instead of the written law, what Paul is saying is that God says he would replace that by putting God's laws in our hearts. I mean, he says very, very simply, um, I, I will put my law in their mind. I will write it in their hearts. And so I will be a God and there will be a people because of the complete change. This is, a, this is a complete miracle because the old covenant had failed. They couldn't keep it. This is a new covenant. Hence the difference between Old Testament, New Testament. It's Old Covenant, New Covenant. Um, the, the word testament, yes, I know what it means. But at the same time, uh, the Old represents the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Testament, the story of the New Covenant. New Testament. But testament because... Uh, a testament comes basically after the death of the testator. <laughs> That's interesting. Anyway, so what God is saying here very clearly, um, I will be to them a God, they will be my people. So because Jesus is now the only high priest that we need, mm -hmm, have you got that? The only high priest is Jesus himself, who has a double role. He is both sacrifice and priest. So he presents himself before the Father. So he becomes, in effect, a living sacrifice, ever living in the presence of the Father, and the Father sees this, so it is a permanent job. Whereas the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, had to be renewed and renewed and renewed. Now it's once and for all. And this is where we, we see with the communion. When we take that communion, it is a reminder that we're taking the blood of Jesus, we're taking the body of Jesus, the broken body. The bread is the broken body. The wine is the shed blood. And this is a reminder that the sacrifice has been completed. We, in effect, we don't need the priest. We do this. This is us. In fact, as I reminded you in the previous message, in actual fact, Paul says that we're both kings and priests unto God because of this. So now, as we come to the end of verse 10, it says, and I will be to them a God, they shall be my people. This is now we have direct access to God. Now, this was symbolized very, very clearly because when Jesus died on the cross, you know from the Gospels, you know how that in the moment that Jesus died and gave up his life on the cross, the veil in the te temple in Jerusalem, that veil which separated between the people and the Holy of Holies that only high priests could enter was 
torn from top to bottom, not bottom up. In other words, if it was from the bottom, it would be human hands coming from the top. It was from the top down. In other words, God split that curtain because now that Jesus has entered into the presence of God, we have access into the presence of God, even into the Holy of Holies. We can now, because the sin question is dealt with, we can enter the presence of God. You couldn't do that before. The people were, were denied. Even the ordinary priests were denied. Do you understand the difference now under the new covenant? We don't need the high priest. We don't need an earthly priest. Our priest is in heaven. We can not enter heaven, but we can enter into the presence of God. And in verse 11, it continues this. They will not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because everybody will know him from the least to the greatest. You see, it's broken down all the barriers. Instead of needing a priest to intercede and to teach us, now every one of us can know the Lord personally. I think this is, this is a wonderful verse. We, we won't need to be taught. We won't need to have an, uh, 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 an intermediary. Now, we will know the Lord from the least to the greatest. We will know him personally. And then in verse 12, of course, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This means literally that because this is a permanent sacrifice, our sin is dealt with. It's gone. When we come to Christ, confess our sin, repent before God and receive Christ as our saviour, as our deliverer, as our high priest, when we accept him personally, our sin is gone. Whereas under the old covenant, sin had to be atoned for regularly. Now it's done. Oh, hallelujah. We're free. We've got salvation. We're set free from the curse and the burden of sin because Christ is our deliverer. And in verse 13, he sums up in that he says a new covenant. He's made the first old one and, and it's now decayed and waxed old. It's ready to vanish away. So the old arrangement's gone. It's finished. The old priesthood, it's all finished because we have a new message, a new covenant. That's what Christ came to do to bring us the story, the message. And if you move just into chapter 9, he says, truly the first covenant that had ordinances, a service, a worldly sanctuary, yes, and there was a tabernacle and so on, all the evidence which I will deal with next time, I want to deal with this in the next message, but it's absolutely clear that Paul is saying, the beginning of chapter 9, the first covenant had to have its visible signs, its priesthood, its temple, its altars, and the rest of it. Now, because Christ is the sacrifice in heaven and the job is complete, 
that's gone. It's old. I mean, in the last verse of chapter 8, he says that the old has decayed, has waxed old, it's ready to vanish because it's now replaced with the new covenant, the new relationship. And this is the danger that religion can so often separate us from God. You know, religion with its ordinances, its practices, it puts the priest there and we have to come to the priest in order to come to God. That's wrong. Paul says, no, that's done away with, that's finished. We have got direct access to God through Christ because he's in heaven on the right hand of the Father. Now, I'm going to continue on, but it's quite interesting because I'm enjoying this. I don't know whether you realize, but I was actually a full pastor for about 13, 14 years from 1950 until, well, for 15 years till finally I left pastoral work totally in 1965, 15 years later. God bless you. We're going to continue. And the next chapter is very, very interesting. Don't miss it. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. Strength for now and for eternity. David will guide you through the Apostle Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. David has written this book to strengthen your faith at a time when everything around us is being shaken. Join David as he delves deep into the truths of the Bible. Order David's book, A Firm Foundation, by visiting our website, eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop. 